Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, of thy Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is a wonderful day where lots of folks actually are not here due to sickness, but we're going to have a grand day today anyway. Amen? You know, we live in a world uh, filled with constant upheaval and uncertainty, right? And aren't we thankful today that we are in the presence of a certain God? Amen. He's not moved by what's going on. He's not caught off guard by the coronavirus or by the flu epidemic in the United States uh, or the stock market uh, going up and down. Amen. Amen. Psalm 19 reminds us of these things. This will be our call to worship today. Psalm 119. I'm not going to do all of Psalm 119. Uh, In fact, Kyle gave us some uh, short uh, readings today, even and even a very shorter call to worship, so that kind of is going to work out good for us today, those of us who are still recovering. But Psalm 119, starting in 145, says, I cried with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord, I will keep thy statutes. I cried unto thee, save me, and I shall keep thy testimonies. I prevented the dawning of the morning, and I cried, and I hoped in thy word. My eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. Hear my voice according unto thy loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgment. They draw nigh that follow after mischief, and they are far from thy law. But thou, O Lord, art near, and all thy commandments are truth. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Amen. Amen. He is a certain God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that you have called us into your presence today to worship you. We're thankful that you loved us before we knew you, that you sought us before we ever sought you. Lord, we're thankful today also, Lord, that we come into your presence needing your forgiveness and you have it to offer us, that we come hungering and thirsting after righteousness and we shall be filled We pray today that you would change us to make us more like you, that you would draw us nearer to you, that you would place our feet firmly on the rock that is our God. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said. Today is in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Computers and printing problems. So, and I problems. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. 
Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say he is tempted. I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from heaven above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. Missing that page. <laughs> so I'm missing the last half of that verse, of verse 18. I thought I had it. So, well, that is our text for today. So let us pray. Thank you, Father. We thank you that you work through our, our feeble hands, through our broken vessels that you are mending. I pray, Lord, today that your word would go forth and that whatever you have for us, Lord, is that we'll, what we'll be concerned about and let all the other things fall by the wayside. I pray that your word from heaven would be poignant in our hearts and lasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to know when I get further on in the text that I'm missing the last half of that verse. So... Uh, The name of the title of the sermon today is No Turning of Shadows. And essentially, our text today is concerning change. And when I first came in, uh, the the kids were telling me about who has what row in church, even though it's an unsaid thing. Um, That's an example of where change doesn't occur. But if it does, it shuffles your life around. Because change is difficult. Um, I have a little article here from a blog site from the UH Connor Integrity Health Network. And uh, I learned this several years ago in high school about what are the most, the five most stressful events that people go through. And they, they all involve major changes. So everyone experiences stress, but many don't know how to manage it. When major life stressors come up, it's important to handle them properly to avoid getting hurt. The top five most stressful life events include death of a loved one, divorce, and this is my favorite because it's what we all have to do eventually, moving. (laughs) Who would have thought, right? Major illness or injury and job loss. Those are the five most stressful events that people go through. Now, there's others that you can list after, but I found that to be interesting that alongside death of a loved one and divorce, major illness or injury, job loss, is moving. (laughs) That's number three, moving. It might feel like stress is an emotional issue, something that lives strictly inside your head. But stress can become physical, a physical issue as well, especially when dealing with the most stressful things in life. And this is from a medical community. This is an observation about stress and how change affects us. Your body instinctively responds to changes and perceived threats, says Francis Aiden, MD, ABIHM. That's an acronym for his institution, medical director at the Health Network. Your body reacts by releasing stress hormones, adrenaline, and cortisol to switch you into fight-or-flight mode. That's why moving is so stressful, and people start bickering with each other, and, and it's, oh, it's very difficult. After experiencing stressful life events, Dr. Aiden says stored-up stress can contribute to symptoms and issues related to digestive health, inflammation, immune system, Bone density, sleep, 
anxiety. It's what I would call after the fall, separation anxiety. Day-to-day stress takes a toll on everyone, she says. We're constantly bombarded by threats and changes, but because we don't usually literally fight or run, we stay reactive. We're bathed and flooded in stress hormones. Now, this is how they tell us to fix that. Well, now, I'm, I'm not going to be too hard on them. They're not telling us that this is a permanent fix. This is more like triage. Take action. Your body is primed to act. Go ahead and get physically moving. So don't just sit in it. Just start doing something. Breathe. That's number two. Breathe. I would recommend breathing. But what they really mean is take a deep breath. Slow down. Get tempered. And then feel good. Take at least 30 seconds to just feel good. (laughs) It'll release some endorphins when you get... When you exercise, okay? So how do you feel about those cures? I mean, they're, they're okay for the five-minute cure. You know, calm down, calm down. Do something. Breathe deep. And those, are real, those are real relaxation techniques. I was, I was taught relaxation techniques at Tufts University, uh, at a dental university. The guy would hypnotize me and teach me how to do relaxation therapy when I was, I don't know, nine, ten years old, something like that. So that's what the world, that's all they got. Yeah, you know, Svengali, you know. So, but that's all the world has. And I'm not faulting them. That's all they got. Right? I mean, it's no wonder that they're a mess. That we're a mess. I don't want to just point the finger at them. I'm still being sanctified. Stress still gets to me too. Isn't that right, Mark? Which Kyle are we going to get today, right? <laughs> It's, and it's always that way. With each notch of sanctification, there's a new stress level that you need to learn to accommodate to and become better at. So that, you know, when you're first time up here, you're going, uh-oh, lines are moving and you can't figure out even what you're talking about, to, oh yeah, I've done this before. And it's like that in everything we do. It ha- the, the world has no anchor. It's floating. It's lost at sea. It's lost its identity. Having been created in the likeness and image of God, the fall has created separation. Ergo, separation anxiety. So what is the cure to all this change and the stress? Well, here's the irony of it. The cure to all this change is change. Change. It's just a matter of what are we changing to or from. What direction are we headed, this way or this way? Metaphorically, you pick which one you want that to be. This guy over here says, that's Christ and that's away. And the guy over here says, that's Christ. But you understand, it's just two directions. It's either or. It's one way or the other. It's the Sermon on the Mount. There's a road that leads to destruction. There's a road that's straight and narrow that leads to life. There's only two ways. And change is part of it on a daily basis. And you know what brings us peace? Stability. Dependability. Predictability. Staying on course. And what does God do in the midst of all that? <laughs> he knocks us off course. He, he says, <laughs> I don't mean to be joking, but as we're running by, he puts his foot out and trips us. And not to be mean, because he knows we need it right at that moment. It is no mistake. Mark told me this morning, he goes, you know, Kyle, I'm really sorry. The house is a wreck and everybody's sick and uh I said, Mark, this is exactly what was supposed to happen on this trip. I mean, you can't get any more predictable and dependable than spending a lot of money on plane tickets and having everybody in town. I mean, you had your ducks in a row. It's just the rest of the world didn't. This, this coronavirus came along. And, uh, and who knows what? And then all of a sudden, someone gets the idea to rip a room apart and fix it. <coughs> And I showed up right in the middle of that. 
I, I wanted to joke around. If I got sick up here this weekend, I was going to look at all of you and say, you make me sick. <laughs> so I show up, and here I am, and there's, there's um, a lot of work going on, and there was a certain skill set that I brought to the table that was very necessary for this room to look pretty so that Miss Robinette would be able to lay down in her bed at night and look at the ceiling and not see a horror show. So in a kind of good way, God brought me in the midst of change of operations to actually bring peace. And it's a joy. It's a joy. I'm glad God's in control. God's changing things and manufacturing things. And we always have to be at the ready to pivot with what God is doing. Because what God is doing is not what we do. Sometimes it is. In fact, the more like him we become, the more they start to line up. The more we start getting top dead center with that, with that strobe light timing your engine, guys will get that one. Well, older guys will get that one. <laughs> so, um, so this this today we're we're really in the that's our seat. That is ours. That is our slot today. Change. So, what is God's cure for change? Okay, now we're back into the text we started with. Now, I started with verse 5, but it is interesting that I left out 2 because I quote that text so much, I was like, just kind of running past it. But really, God's cure is to count it all joy to bring us trials of many kinds because it produces steadfastness, steadiness, perseverance, dependability, you see? And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, what happens in the fall is it wrecks our moorings. And so I'm talking for the next few minutes about our ontology, fancy word for our makeup, who we are, what we're like as people, as creatures. And as creatures, we were separated from God ontologically. As beings, as people, our center got rocked and moved. We got away from God. And then that's when death begins. Death begins when you are separated from your source of stability, your source of divinity. We were made in his likeness, in his image. And when we got separated, that's when we began to die. In many, many ways, most of them unseen, when it manifests is when we see it. But the death has already started. You cut a rose, you can't see it's dead yet. But it's dying because it's been separated from its source. I am the vine, you are the branches. Amen? Amen. So here's, here's, a, here's God's... A description of what we human beings, us undependable people are like when we doubt him. And doubt means you don't trust. When we don't trust, we're not connected and it makes us really flippy floppy. He says, one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We're just flopping all over the place. If anybody's ever been, and I haven't, thank God, it's one of them things I never want to be, stuck out in an ocean with two-foot waves and you're in a, just a life preserver, I'll bet you're just getting tossed around. That's what it's like when we don't trust the Lord. And it causes stress. And so he says, now I like the way he says it, he says, the Lord that is, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his way. Now, one might read this to think that God is chastising or threatening. Now, if you do that, you're not going to get nothing. That makes me upset. I don't like it when you don't trust me. And if you do that, you're not going to get anything. You're like a double-minded man and you disgust me. That is not what God is doing here. He is ministering to his people saying, here's the process of getting plugged back in, the rose getting plugged back, the vine, the branches getting put back on. This is the process. I'm going to give you some circumstances that will be difficult. 
and necessary to teach you how to trust me. And if you don't trust me, it'll be like you're flopping around in the ocean, always guessing, always, oh, trying to build a better mousetrap. And you won't receive anything from me. He's coaching us. He's not chastising us. He's coaching us. And he says, you will not receive from the Lord. You're like a double-minded man. Now, I've heard a commentary on this that says a double-minded man may be a phrase that James made up. He coined it. And it really means almost like split personality. You'll be schizophrenic. Which Kyle are we going to get today? That's a conversation we had in Honduras. (laughs) Because sometimes you get this Kyle, and sometimes you get this Kyle. Sometimes you get the Kyle that just slayed the prophets of Baal, and sometimes you get the one that's running from the queen. So which one do we get? Am I going to be double-minded, unstable in all his ways? You know, I can only liken this to psychosis. That's really what's happening when we separate from God. The world is becoming psychotic. Psychotic means to be broken from reality. So thankfully, we're just double-minded. Because God is at work. God is in control. And he's bringing us back. But the world... Wow, they're just getting further and further out to sea. They're getting psychotic. They're breaking from reality. What reality? That God is real, that God is to be trusted, that you belong to him. That's reality. What does it say about the prodigal son? He came to his senses. And before he came to his senses, what was he? Insane. That guy is nuts. Look what he just did. He needed, the, he needed the truth of God to invade his heart and his mind to bring him back to reality. Hey, hey, wake up. He had to come back to his senses. It says in verse 9, The lowly brother boasts in his exaltation. He's lowly. There's his boast that he trusts in the Lord. But the rich in his humiliation. He's trusting in his riches. Now that happens all the time on planet earth with your average human. They got it together just enough to keep it together. Some of them really do well on the outside and they are anesthetized to their own demise. You know, there's a movie called Men in Black and uh, the alien is like this big cockroach. Huge and ugly. My wife hates cockroaches. She will literally scream from the other side of the house. And I know what happened. And he is disguising himself as a human being. And he shrinks his body inside this, this human body. And so this human body's walking around. Because this, he can hardly contain it. That's what people are like. They can hardly contain their disarray. They walk around on planet Earth holding it together, having a good face. Oh, I caught a lucky wave. They caught a lucky wave in the ocean. They're riding that surfboard, and then, boom, sickness hits them. A job loss hits them. Now they have to move. Uncle died. My mom died. Somebody died. I've been through those things. And then a divorce. All of a sudden, you ain't riding that surfboard like you used to. All of a sudden, you are skiing down the slope and you didn't see that mogul and it just shot your knees up from under you like it did to me once and you're flying into a tree. That's, that's where this world is at. It's hit or miss. Hope it works out. Good luck, buddy. Hope it goes well for you. I, I don't want to be in that place. And in my weakness, I want to fix everything and make it right and solve all the problems. And that's the Kyle that you don't want to see. And that's the one that I am really at war with and trying to submit every little area of my life. It doesn't change just because you get up here and speak this way. In fact, you might say it just grows. The challenge becomes even bigger. So it says here, 
For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now I got to say, I think C.S. Lewis, when he wrote The Great Divorce, must have been thinking about this. Because if you've ever read the book, the people who have not chosen Christ all their life, they become these wispy spirits, uh, a shadow of themselves of their former person. And as the book goes on, they just keep getting worse and worse and and thinner and thinner, and you can see right through them, and they're fading away. And when they take a step into heaven to kind of check things out, the grass hurts their feet because they're so soft from fading away, they can't even walk on grass. And that is the condition of mankind. That is who we are apart from Christ. We are fading away. And you know what? That's an eternal process. That's an eternal trap of psychosis. You know, that's, that's what's going to happen in destruction, in permanent destruction after this life is over. You'll be in permanent psychosis. You'll be insane. I don't even like to think about it. It's a horrible thing to think about, but it's true. And it sure helps me relate to the reality of that process. That, wow, that's not a good road. There's a road that leads to destruction and there's a, a road that leads to eternal life, health, peace, dependability, security. Wow. It says, don't, don't say God is tempting me. I want to just complete this picture of who we are, even as believers. We're just this soup of all kinds of desires. Think of it that way. That's why it's so easy for the, for the devil to tempt. And that's how God has to work in us. Because we've got desires. All We're just like, it's like taking the ball and throwing it and the dog goes, whoom. That's what we have at work in us. Warring with the righteousness of God. And we're so subject to every little whim of our own desires and our own temptations. And when we give in to that, two things. We're not trusting the Lord and it turns into sin. And the scripture says here, when sin is fully developed, it turns into death. So you see what this scripture is doing? It's saying, here's a problem. Here's how you grow through it. And here's where you're going. So it says here in verse 16, do not be deceived. Don't look the wrong way. Don't look to the wrong solution. Do not be deceived. Because our hearts do that. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift does not come from the sea. It comes from heaven above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That's the sweet spot. That's the center of this text in James chapter 1. That is the anchor of our soul. The concrete bed that creates a cushion. So, I wanted to speak for a second about that. In fact, uh, Ephesians 4.13, just to kind of group some other scriptures, it says, Paul repeats this theme, it says that he wants us to grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is head into Christ. So God's cure is to take us out of the flop and into the security of no change of who God is. Now, the encouraging thing is this only takes a lifetime. All right? Wisdom uh, doesn't cost any money at all. It just costs you your life. (laughs) 
It just takes a lot of running around in the tumbler, you know? It's the school of hard knocks that gives you wisdom. And as you grow older, wisdom accrues in your life and you worry less about the little things and you realize the bigger things. And it it does settle out as we trust the Lord. So I wanted to speak a little bit about... We spoke a little bit, I just spoke now, about who we are, our ontology, our being, our nature, our makeup, what makes us who we are and who we're not, and how it has been jilted since the fall. Because we weren't made that way. When we were made in the Garden of Eden, we were stable. We were at peace. It was a dependable place to be. No big surprises. God said he laid it out. No surprises. He says, it's all yours except that one spot. So I want to talk for a second about who God is. He's the God that never changes. Now, the the, the Greeks are very good at finding problems, just not very good at solving them. Okay, and they really are. They're great at finding problems. They just can't really solve them. So there's this the debate. They were in, very interested in movement. And so there's, there's another debate that says, well, is God outside of time? That's usually how we refer to God. He's outside of time. And I would agree with that at one level. But I think we have to understand why we think that way about who God is. Because we, we understand time as a ratio of movement. That's the only way we understand it, through movement, through event. It's a, it's a calculation of rate and distance equals time, right? Well, that's because things are moving. But God, the reason why he's not necessarily outside of time, it's just that time is irrelevant to him. God never moves. There's no shifting of shadow in him. There's no change of variation. And I understand that that means that he doesn't change his mind. But it also means he doesn't have to move. He's at that end of the universe. At the exact same moment he's at that end. He understands all things together at once. He never has to go, wait a minute, and zoom 13 billion miles that way to figure out what's going on. He gets it all right now. There's no time and distance which accumulates a rate of speed. There's no time for him. It's a meaningless thing to him. Not that it's meaningless, but according to who he is, his eternal nature, it says in Romans 1. His eternal nature and his divine Godhead, it's visible. So we inside time, and God has entered time and space, and now he is part of that time-space continuum. He lets us see him through, etern- through infinity. See, that's a time stamp thing. Infinity has a beginning. It, it, even if the, your infinity begins right here at zero and goes positive integers forever or negative integers forever, it started somewhere. But God has no beginning. He's eternal. God doesn't move. God is a fixed See, and I want to cover this because I don't think we appreciate just how fixed he is. Just how permanent and impervious to change he is. It's like an irrelevant thing to him. It's it's, it's as irrelevant as him telling a lie or sinning. It's just not in the DNA. There is no variation or change with the Lord. And so going back to our little Greek thing, they were always very concerned about movement. And the big debate was, now I'm going back to who we are created to be because it's very tied to who God is. Where is your identity? Who are you? How do you know anything about who you are? Because who you are right now is not who you are in a second from now. It's not who you were before. So are you actually anything right now? Or are you just a bundle of becoming? It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a, a brain teaser. And, and I'm going, this isn't just a neat exercise I'm giving you right now about, hey, check this out. But there's a, there's a reality here I want us to see. Because the debate was, are you actually here or are you always just becoming? You step in the same river twice? It's, no, you never step in the same river twice. Something has moved. You're never the same person twice. You've moved. 
So are you becoming or are you actual right now? Now you see, God has no potential. None whatsoever. He's everything he'll ever be right now. He never has to learn anything. He's never going to become more righteous. He's never going to become that thing he wishes he was 10 billion years ago. He is everything now. So Paul knew this, and he talked to the Greeks about it, and he says, you know who you are? You're defined by who he is. That's how. Apart from God, you have lost definition. We're back to those fading spirits again. And the further away from him, the less definition you have. It says in Acts 17, in him we live and breathe and have our being. And that's where Paul quotes it, speaking to the Greeks. Because he knows this very subject I just kind of put our toe in the deep end for. God is the is the actual center of the universe. If, if you want to relationally look at the center of the universe, God is the it factor. Without him, we don't have an actual being. And without him, we'll never be anything. But because we're in him, we have being. We have identity. That was a little deep dive for anybody who wanted to go there. But it's an important thing to understand. Paul's not just speaking out of his left pocket on this to the Greeks. There's a reason for that. It says in uh, Colossians, I'm going to turn to my Bible. Uh, Everybody like my really cool Bible case? Yeah. Uh, It took me two years to get that Bible case. That's a long story. I'm turning to Colossians 1. Uh, Great text of scripture. uh, Dealing with this particular subject. Uh, Without going into any background on what Colossians 1 is about. It says in Colossians 1. Verse 14. In uh, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him. All things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Mark's anticipating the moment. He goes, oh, I know this verse is great. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, including your identity, including your who you are. Whenever you lose who you are, you know what we call that? Separation anxiety. We even see our dogs do it. Where's master? And they claw up your door and tear things up and they end up in a video online going viral. (laughs) So, uh, I love that text. I love all these texts that show us the preeminence of Christ. The stability of Christ. The joy of knowing Christ. And and quite frankly, it breaks my heart that other people don't have that. Uh, We sang that song this morning, uh, How Sweet and Awful. And I saw it and I said, oh, I'm good today. I'm not going to cry when we sing that song. But I did. I had to stop singing for two or three verses. Couldn't do it. He is our anchor and our fixed point, our north star, our bedrock. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I'm telling you, really, you know, if you can just get up here and read a bunch of scriptures, you're going to be doing good. I mean, it's where it starts and stops. That, that, is the, that is the manifestation of the anchor. God says, my word is truth. Sanctify them in my word in John 17. God promises change. Now, this was all very informative. 
and very necessary, and it's God's prescription for cure. But I would like to focus now, as we winding down towards the end of this talk, that God promises change. Now, that's always uncomfortable for us when we talk of change, but when God talks of change, it's always a good thing for us, his people, his children. And the reason why I brought up all those texts about he doesn't change, there's no change in him, no shadow of turning. That means he doesn't do this and cast a shadow this way, and then tomorrow it's this way. It says in 2 Corinthians, I think it's 7, God's promises are always the same, yes and amen. He doesn't change his mind. Paul says, I made plans and I had to change them. God makes plans and he never changes them. Amen. Never. He promised. Now, you hear this in the prosperity church. They'll say, God, you can go to him and demand your rights because he said it. That's not what I'm talking about. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Because <laughs> you'll have to learn another lesson about humility. But God promised change. And he binds himself by himself and no other. Like William Perkins says, a thing, God does not do a thing because it's good and right. It's good and right because God does it. Amen. God promises change. Let me get a text here that I love, that I saved on my Samsung notes because we couldn't get the printer working quite right. It says, listen to what God does when he makes a promise. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is the final confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly, to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose. That means he wants us to really know. Okay, you want to really know? I'll take an oath. And I'll swear by me. That's what God says. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Who we have fled for refuge. Have we fled for refuge? Do we not need to flee towards refuge? To him. <clears throat> Refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. I think I said that already somewhere. That's a great thing when the scripture confirms itself. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus, who guarantees us and secured it with his own blood, has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? I mean, I can just stop right now. That was good. I mean, that's it. Mic drop. God wins. That was fantastic. That gives me assurance. You know, Romans says that we have a hope. We don't have, I wish upon a star. We have an objective reality, a hope, a noun. That's not an adjective about how we feel. That's a real thing, an objective hope that God has given us. And why am I saying this? Because this is stress relief. This is not separation anxiety. This is connectivity peace bringer. Just made that up. So, that's, the, that's why I brought those texts today for the scripture reading. They all talk about God's promise. 
Uh, we read Isaiah 62, 11 and 12. Now, I'm going to finish on these three texts. I'm just going to mention a little bit and let it simmer in the pot. And then all week long you can think about it. And the next time you get into these circumstances, you can know, well, I've got work to do. I've got to learn how to rest. You know, that's what it says in Hebrews 4, that we have to press, make every effort to press into his rest. I mean, it's quite, a, it's quite an ironic metaphor. But it's true. Uh, it almost sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not. And we know it's not, first of all, because God's word said it. And so it's our job to understand how it works, not to say, well, we don't understand it. It must not be saying that. No, it really says that. And we really need to embrace it, understand it, and press through it. It says in Isaiah 62, I just quoted a couple things here. We will be a holy people. Now, God is holy. He's separate. He's not like us. He's something else. He's so completely different. He's secure. And he promises that we will be too. We will be a holy people. We will be like him, sought out. I love the way that text ends. We will be called, this will be our name. Hello, sought out. And he says, hello, a city not forsaken. And if that doesn't get you going, man, it's fun doing this job up here, let me tell you. Imagine that, you're called a city not forsaken. That's, that's just great. I don't want to be forsaken, and I'm thankful that... I, we sang that, how sweet and awful. Why? How did I come in? I don't know, but man, I'm now called a city not forsaken. That was our Old Testament reading. Those, those were quotes from that text. That wasn't me just commenting. We, ran, we read from Psalm 119, 149 to 152. I could have done more with someone, Psalm 119. There's a lot of verses. But I just took one letter of the alphabet and took one space from Psalm 119 so we could meditate on these things, on this book of the law, that we may be prosperous and successful if we do it. It says, O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. Now this, believe it or not, is where this whole message started for me. This message started for me a month ago. I was sitting in Sunday school class saying, what am I going to teach at Mark's? And we were talking about God's justice and his judgment. I said, wow, because he is just, he is bound by himself to be faithful to me. (laughs) Because justice... You know, God is merciful and justice all at the same time. And Christ fulfilled mercy and judgment all in one shot. And because God is just, you know, that's usually very threatening for us human beings. That because God is just, watch it. That, that justice will get, get you. But not for me it won't. That justice got Christ instead. And because God is just, you see, because he can swear by no name higher than himself, because he is just, he won't break his own rule, which is himself. It's impossible. He can't do it. I could read a lot of text right there, but I won't because time is winding down. It says in Romans 8, 31 to 34, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's the same thing that God is saying. Who can do it? No, no, you have no claim on this man. See, that's lawyer talk right there. You have no claim on him. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. That's the next text. That's the next scripture. That's the, that follows that phrase. It is God who justifies. Brothers and sisters, our security is, is, is sound. We have assurance. We have a built-in stress reliever. If we will trust in him. If we don't, I'm, I'm just letting you know, you'll be like a split personality. You'll be Kyle one day here and Kyle the one day the next here. See, I'm in this with you guys. <laughs> yeah. I've seen Mark have those days. I've seen Mark have the, yo, we're going to go and raise a lot of money for Myanmar. And then I've had him have those days, hey, Kyle. (laughs) Because stress gets to all of us. Because we all have to grow. 
into be conformed in his likeness. That's why I read from Romans 8. Because we're being conformed into the likeness of his image. We're being glorified. We have a hope. We have something to look forward to. God has given us prescription. Don't be double-minded. Trust me. Continue in the process. Persevere. That's what steadfastness is. Persevere. I will give you these gifts. I will grant to you these gifts. Give me your heart continually. And we'll grow together. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. For the instruction that you give us. For the calm that you bring to the storm, Lord. You commanded the waters and they calmed. And the apostles were amazed and shocked and even in, in, in fear. But you, you have that. That's, that's, in your, that's in your wheelhouse, Lord. You calm the sea. You temper our hearts. You temper our minds and you temper our souls, Lord. And you bring us into conformity to you. And I'm so thankful for that because personally, I would be a mess without it. I would not be someone people want to hang around with. But I thank you, Lord, for your spirit that works in us, works in all things to glorify your name, Lord. And I pray as we go forth this week that we would consider it an opportunity and a blessing to make your name great in the earth, to glorify you. Let us rejoice, Lord, in all our circumstances, not being complainers or murmurers, but trusting that you're in control and you're doing a great work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Sounds like Brother Kyle is telling us that the changing world we live in should remind us of an unchanging God. The world of death should remind us of a God of life. The world of uncertainty should remind us of a certain God. I think of Isaiah chapter 45. I am the Lord and I change not. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Amen? Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.